0: Hello and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm your host, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm also joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. I am so excited about today's episode because we are covering a topic that harkens back to the foundation of Eagle Forum, feminism as it relates to motherhood. If you don't know how Eagle Forum began, go back to season one and check out the episodes at the very beginning. So in a nutshell, Eagle Forum was founded by Phyllis Schlafly in 1972 to fight against the feminist equal rights amendment, a constitutional amendment that would actually strip away women's rights instead of giving them all of the so-called equality that feminists messaged on. Phyllis rallied countless moms, many who were stay-at-home moms, to take action, and boy did they ever. The ERA was defeated and still remains defeated to this day. Even though Phyllis has passed on, we still fight against the far left feminist agenda. It's hard in today's culture to cut through the noise and find out the truth or even speak the truth that goes against the popular feminist rhetoric.
1: So that's why we've brought on Carrie Grass to talk, to give us a fresh perspective and some words of wisdom. Carrie Grass is a fellow at the Washington Washington, D.C., based Think Tank, Ethics and Public Policy Center and a scholar for the Institute for Human Ecology at Catholic University of America. She has a doctorate in philosophy from the Catholic University of America and is the editor at the online women's magazine, Theology of Home, and has written for numerous publications. Carrie has lived and worked professionally in Washington, D.C. and Rome, Italy, and her work has been translated into nine languages. She's the author Author of several amazing books. Be sure to go and check her out at carrigrass.com. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. We're so thankful to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun to join you today. Yeah.
0: So you're clearly an excellent writer if, if all of these publications have picked you up. <laughs> so, uh-huh. what exactly made you passionate about writing and why on the topic of feminism? You know, I think that's a great question. Um,
2: I, my doctorate is in philosophy, and actually when I was working on it, I just, I said, probably even out loud, I, I never want to work on women's issues. And, <laughs> you know, of course, God has a great sense of humor, but I think that one of the things that I really realized that I didn't like about the way academics talk about women is it's incredibly inaccessible for just most women to really know what, what's really being talked about. There's usually so much philosophical jargon. There's usually a lot of just shorthand and and language that takes years really to sort of start parsing it out and really understand what people mean by certain words. And um, so I just was really, um, I just didn't find it engaging or compelling. I I just didn't think that these were the ways to reach women um, in, in a, Um, in a fun and way that just speaks to the heart of women. And um, so I I think that's really what I stumbled upon. I I wrote a, a first book called Ultimate Makeover um, about women, and it was really mainly about my own experience as a mom. Um, and I, you know, I just finished my PhD and I, it's, you know, I was in five language, it's 30,000 words, you know, half of them are footnotes. And um, so it was just fun to write something really simple and, and basic and straightforward. And um, so that's when I just started kind of diving into this idea of women. And you know, one of the things that I discovered mainly you know, as a mom was I, I constantly was living with this idea that you know, motherhood was gonna get easier. <laughs> and as soon as I realized that, you know, it's almost by it's by design that it's not easy, um, then it got a lot easier. Um, then when I realized that it was what it was doing was making me more, more virtuous, it was making me more patient, it was making me more compassionate, compassionate, um, all of these kinds of things were were happening to me as a mom because of the demands of, of motherhood. Um, and then it was really easy to see sort of how that happens on a on a larger scale. Um, but from there, it just kind of kept growing. I just kept seeing how awkwardly and almost top heavily we we speak about women in the in the culture today, especially on um, the conservative side of things. And I didn't I don't want to give that to you know friends and relatives who maybe don't understand political issues or religious issues. I wanted something that felt more accessible, um, and that's kind of really where what what has drawn me into it. And um, of course, I, I my the, um, the main book that I've written on the topic is called "The Anti-Mary Exposed: uh, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity." And um, that book has really been uh, probably the the main book that has just that really dove into the issues. Um, and I wanted women to know kind of what what we've been told, you know, back from 1972 up till now, that the message hasn't really changed, and we haven't pushed back on it enough. And so that's been a fun thing is how do we push back on this in ways that w- really, you know, resonates with women instead of f- makes them feel alienated or um, kind of out of their league intellectually or or just doesn't appeal to them at all. So mm-hmm. that, that was mm-hmm. really where it all started.
1: So I guess in that vein, can you um, describe feminism as you have observed it?
2: yeah, you know, I mean, this is one of the things that that's been so interesting to me to look at the the philosophical roots of it and sort of pick out, you know, this this is an effort that has said over and over and over and over again that it's really there to help women. and yet it's it's so tightly wrapped into these two different ideological threads um, that these are things that simply cannot help women. Um the first one, of course, is Marxism and you know we see roots of that as um Kate Millett is, is someone that I've I talk a lot about in my books her sister Mallory Millett has been a great help to me Kate passed away Mallory survived and she feels this endless guilt about what her sister did to the culture and she you know she's the one that wrote the book called sexual politics and really was kind of undergirded a lot of women's studies programs she was on the front cover of time magazine um, and yet, she, all of her her emphasis was really on how do we get Marxism um, built into the American woman psyche? How do we help women not see themselves at all really as mothers? Um, and actually, she you know she spoke very plainly about women having the courage to have abortions and, and kill their own children and you know just really incredibly awful stuff when you see it you know laid out in front of you that way. Um, and so the, the Marxist piece is one that's there where it's, it's, it is this effort to um, really erase any di- distinctions and differences between men and women um, and just kind of see us as cogs in a machine, as, you know, as robots. Um, and obviously that includes the absence of, of bearing children or, you know, only bearing them out of necessity and, and certainly bearing Female children above male children. Um, so anyway, there there was that's one of the the elements. The other element that's really alive and well that I don't think gets enough um, attention is is the occult element and how much paganism has played into this. We know um, Wicca and or witchcraft now has more adherence than there are people that, that claim to be Presbyterians. Um, so that's on the uptick as well, and I think that the, the two go hand in hand because the, if you're if you don't have a Christian Judeo Christian perspective you know, paganism is always going to seep its way into um, a culture, and this is just <laughs> what we see throughout history, um, and that's really what's happened, is that um, women feel out of control of their lives, and this sort of feels, you know, the occult feels like kind of a desperate way um, to regain that um, sense sense of control, and um, it, so that that's definitely another pattern. So I saw, you know, and you can see that, that actually, there I just wrote an article um, about this um, pop artist named Halsey, who just came out with this 13-minute um, video, there's hardly any sound in it, it's just her walking around the Met, um, you know, dressed very scantily as a pregnant woman, um, looking at all these images of, of um, the Virgin Mary, and then she goes to another room and unveils a picture, and sure enough, it's her in a, in a pose like the Virgin Mary, um, slightly more pro- provocatively, but that image is going to be the cover of her, of her new album that comes out in August. Um, so there's this, this effort to sort of go back to mythology, to sort of usurp these, um, icon, I guess, icons of, of womanhood um, and use them in really distorted ways. Madonna's done it, Lady Gaga, you know, Rihanna, um, Rihanna Beyonce, you know, on and on, they've all used this kind of um, cult imagery and I, I think we kind of o- overlook it as just maybe pop sensation but when you see enough of it, it it really starts raising questions of you know what is it that they're trying to get at with um, with all this messaging.
0: Right yeah that's really interesting. Um, you know you wrote an excellent article in The Federalist titled Meet the Flyover Women Pop Culture Ignores and you mm-hmm. talk about how moms across America's are, America are happy living with the everyday challenge of raising children, and I want to read a portion of that because it just struck me um, and it really pinged my heart. Um, You said, what we will never see in the splashy pages of Vanity Fair, for instance, are the many happy women who buck the feminist narrative loving, nurturing, consoling, clothing, cleaning, and adoring their numerous children without trying to live like men. From Maine to Hawaii, these are women who have opened themselves up to the dramatic and self-sacrificial love required when one person truly loves another. They carry children in their wombs, their arms, their hearts, their minds. They know the preciousness of tender embrace from small arms, a little face learning to offer kisses, the peppering of questions from a curious child, and the dig deep challenges of teenagers, sometimes all in the same hour. Some know the struggle of children with broken bodies or broken minds or both. And some know the gaping hole that will never be filled when a child or children are lost.
2: Yeah, I'm getting teared up because I'm thinking of all the women that I thought of that when I was writing this article and just their witness and uh, you know the things that we have they've been through and, and the way that they have persevered. And um, yeah, I think that these are the things that are just clearly not gonna be covered um in, in mainstream media, and this is one of the arguments I, I make fully in my book is just pointing out how much um, the culture really is controlled by this radical feminist agenda, whether it's fashion, Hollywood, politics, book publishing, um, pol- you know, public policy, all of this is really controlled by one narrative. Um, and that is that women have to be be more like men instead of really understanding what it means to be a woman. And um, so it's, it, it's been a great thing to be able to look at what what does it really mean to be a woman and and how do we start reclaiming some of these aspects of womanhood, um, you know, in a beautiful way instead of constantly, you know, this knee jerk reaction, like mm-hmm. oh, if men can do it, then we can do it. Um, you know, instead we need to look at what what are these things that women have? And, and one of the things that I found that's, you know, older than the Hills is, this idea of women um, carrying things—that the word um, for ocean in French is is a she. Um, vessels like a ship are always ma- named after a she um, or after a woman. There, um, because they they understood this connection between you know what women do even looking down at our bodies we can see we have wombs we have a pelvis to accommodate them we have even our arms are bent different than a man a man's arms so that we can cradle a baby um, without you know getting tendonitis um so it's it's that beautiful aspect of how we can carry on a physical level but that also points to what happens on an interior level and how we carry people in our hearts and in our prayers um, we, we, you know, we're dialed into them. We know what they need, and we try and accommodate that, and 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 not just um, not just abide with people, but actually improve them and and help make their lives better, and you know, get them to be the people that God meant them to be um, through all of the these things, these small little bits of service that we do here and there, um, or even big things too, like childbirth, um, to help bring bring others into the world and improve their lives.
0: Yeah, Kirsten and I are completely in the throes of young motherhood right now. Um, I have a a toddler and a newborn and Kirsten (laughs) also has a toddler and she'll have a newborn soon. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we also know the pains Mm -hmm. of loss at the same time. And so, you know, I think a lot of times culture tells us something different about what we should be doing right now. You know, big Mm -hmm. part of DC culture, which we're right in here in this area is that you work all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. You work long hours, you give yourself over to your job, you're married to your job, Mm -hmm. and um, they put career as your number one priority over family. And um, so I'd like to, I'd like you to expound on this ideology a little more. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like feminists feminism discourages family life in this way? Yeah,
2: no, I think that's a great question, but I think it, it's really reducible to one thing and it, it comes back to power. Um, and this idea that we can live as autonomous individuals that we don't need anybody else. So we can't, you know, we don't need a husband, we don't need children, we don't need um, family, extended family and, and whatnot. It's this, this idea that we can sort of control our own destiny by doing what we we want to with our ambition and our hard work and the hours that we put in and whatnot. Um, and that's the saddest thing because that this is really what they pinpointed about men that they thought was important back in the '60s and '70s. That you know, here men leave leave the home and they go out and have this great time doing, you know, fulfilling their dreams and ambitions, um, and they don't seem to be saddled by you know the the con you know, the things that children bring to to our lives. Um, and so rather than say, saying these are differences. They said, this is what we want. And, and, and sadly, too, in addition to that, it was the case that um, it wasn't good men that they were after. We were trying to emulate. It was actually bad men. Um, and this is where why abortion has become such a, a lightning rod in our own culture, because the fact that you can't... It, their, their belief and the lie that we hear over and over again is that you can't be happy as, it, it, you know, children are an obstacle to that happiness. And husbands are a ha- an ob- can be an obstacle to that happiness unless, of course, they're somehow on board with your career and whatnot. Um, so I think that that's that's really the saddest lie that we have been fed over and over again. And this is why we have to have abortion. Why it, it it's been raised to the sacramental level um, among the left in terms of just uh, you know we saw what happened with Justice Kavanaugh. And the, you know all the screeching and all of these things that go on whenever that's threatened. Um, and this is the reason behind it, because they they really have this idea of of lifestyle and power and autonomy that drives everything, and it, it doesn't. It's um and it's at the expense of these close, tight personal relationships and um, service and giving of oneself and and finding ourselves through gift of self too. I think that's that's another piece that's really foreign mm-hmm. um, to the current culture as well.
1: So, I mean, what is your advice that in terms of? number one, how we can fight against this narrative. And then once we do that, how can we as women find a support system to yeah. not be pressured back into that? Yeah. No, I think those are an- incredibly hard things. In
2: fact, um, I I don't have great answers for either of those questions, because I feel like there's, um, only because I haven't, been able to sort of create a network for women doing that and I, I think that was one of the things that I had in mind with this article with the Federalist of um, this idea of flyover women is to try and help women recognize that they're not alone and um, you know I've had emails of people um, have sent me and said you know we're for flyover women we'd love for you to come give us a retreat or talk to us or um, you know help us out with such and such thing um, so it's interesting to see that this name is sort of is People are attracted to it because they they feel it resonates with something that they experience in their own life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's something that I, you know I would love to do further, and I hope to actually get a, whole, a book um, out on it eventually. Um, but I think that this is e- even in our own areas we can find other women who are doing who are who are like-minded. But even um, Instagram is a is a great place. I've been amazed at the amount of support that's there. In fact, there was one woman yesterday. She had just posted um, about reading my book and how she had gone to Columbia and. She'd been told over and over again, you know, you don't, shouldn't stay home with your kids, and you know it's a waste of your education. You took a place of somebody else that could have t- taken your place. You know all of these this kinds of nonsense that we hear over and over again. Um, and then she finally read my book, and and it just it completely freed her up to feel like she didn't have to listen to all of that. And um and, and you know it, it was wonderful and yet so sad to me. Like why? Why is it that she's this far along in her life and she hasn't heard this from anybody? Um, and I think that there are so many w- young women like that that they just need to hear it from one person and then it completely resonates with them and they understand this that there's more than what they've been told that they can go deeper and um, yeah, and I think it's important too to even just recognize there are these different seasons of life. Um, you know I had seven years where I was just completely at home. Um, I did nothing in the public eye. I was busy finishing up a, a PhD and just having children. Um, and I never would have dreamed that I would be doing all the things that I'm doing now. Um, but that's where my education come from. You know, I came from, I knew I had to finish my PhD. And at some point it would probably be used. Um, and I think that that's the exciting thing is these things are never wasted, but they're, they kind of come back around and they can be used mm-hmm. in different ways as well. So Um, kind of giving into that sense of, well, I'm going to stay at home and have children or have um, multiple children, um, I think, and and that your life is over. um, I think is really short-sighted and really not a a great understanding of what womanhood is um, because we do have all of these different seasons and ways in which um, our gifts can be used. And and that's, you know, I'm a Mm stay-at-home mom generally and everything else that I do just sort of fits in around that. I have a 17-month-old myself, and um, you both know how much work <laughs> toddlers still are. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a balancing act.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I find so often that comparison is the thief of joy, and it's hard as a mom not to look around you and wonder what life uh, would be if you had, if you would have put your career first. And yeah. um, maybe you're thinking, wow, I could have traveled more, or I would have more money in a bigger home, or you know, all the things that we may see around us, or even on TV, mm-hmm. um, or even some have enough money for someone to clean your home instead of you doing it all the time. You know, that would be so nice. Right. right. Um, what would you say to those moms who are in this stage of life?
2: Yeah. No, I think that that's a great point and such an easy thing because of Instagram. Because everything always looks so tidy and and lovely and. Uh, you know, I I know one of the the, my greatest escapes was was just thumbing through a magazine. Um, You know, I I had four under five um, at one point and just to even have 10 minutes just flip through a magazine. But, you know, in that then you can really get caught up in um, in the comparison. And so I think that that's the the fundamental thing is, you know, take that energy that you're spending on comparison and look at your children, you know, look at what what's happening in their life. I, I just, I, maybe it's because I didn't have a child. And then we, we had this surprise child when I was 46. And um, I, I just marvel, like, here's this little packet of a person who's just amazing. And, you know, look at his toes and his teeth that are coming in and you know, all these details um, that I, it, you know, we, it, it's just amazing to see how God works in these, these little miracles. And I think that that's something that can become very humdrum, especially when you are deep, deep, deep in that trench. Um, but to think about the potential that's put into this child, and that you have the capacity to draw out of them, I think that that kind of flips it more back onto how can I be proactive instead of just sitting here feeling passively um, and feeling like a victim, um, instead of thinking, you know, I've been given a great responsibility to to make this person um, help them to be the, the person that God intended them to be, and um, help them change change the world in in very small and or maybe large ways too.
1: As a mother, or even as a grandma, aunt, or you know, really anyone who who has some sort of influence on young women, how do we teach that as um, an alternative to, you know, the feminism that we are taught in our schools and college classes and books, literally everywhere? Yeah. And and then you know, how do we? So again, how do we apply that then? or help them apply that into their decisions that they want to make for their future career or for their family, all right. that stuff. You know, I think that's really where it's,
2: uh, the, there are cultural pieces that can help us, whether it's um, women that we know or that we admire, mm-hmm. um, whether it's movies, old movies, have some really amazing, elegant women um, with a lot of incredible virtues. Um, Books, of course, are another great great piece of this because what's happened is we're sort of in the sludge right now and it's hard for us to see it around us because, like you said, it's so oppressive. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you can sort of be elevated out of that somehow, either whether it's it's books or a movie or, or a person that you admire, and it doesn't even have to be every aspect of this person that you admire, but maybe certain elements. Um, that you think, you know, I want to be like that woman. I really like that she has this capacity. Um, you know, someone, even someone like Mary Ellen Bork, Mary, Mary Ellen Bork, if, if you know her, is just an incredible woman of grace um, that I've spent a lot of time just admiring um, because she's um, just a lovely woman. And, you know, I, I would love to have some of her her gifts and talents and, and graces. And yet... I know that if I listen to the culture, I will not cultivate them because the culture of course encourages us to be angry and emotional and mm-hmm. outspoken about everything that comes through our mind. Um, a lot of things which we we probably ought not to say. Um, and Mary Ellen for me embodies that woman who is very tactful and knows what to say, when to say it. And, and I, I think this is, um, one of this this great virtue of meekness that we think of meekness as a doormat and um, you know when it's really meekness is really embodied in a person that means they're the ones that have the control over what they say and do in their life um, and a lot of us just don't haven't ever cultivated that or thought of it because the culture hasn't encouraged that so um yeah I think it's just a matter of, of really finding the women that, that you're drawn to and sort of asking the question what is it that I like about this woman what virtue does she have that I can emulate and kind mm-hmm. of picking and choosing from, from different women in life and or in or in stories or elsewhere.
1: Yeah. It might require a little bit of effort, but yeah, you know, it, but it's, it's, out there. it's yeah. yeah. And it's so much easier to just, you know, emulate the people that are on, like you, you've talked about Instagram, all the celebrities that are on there or seen in the magazines, but right. maybe the virtuous woman, you know, you need to search a little bit deeper for her. <laughs> right.
2: Something a little bit more soulful for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. That's so good. I, uh, we had a guest on last season and he had just had a daughter and he was putting up, um, pictures in her room of women in the neighborhood that he wanted her to look up to. And that takes a lot of research and time, but it's so worth it because, you know, it can really change the the trajectory of, of your life. Mm -hmm. And in doing that makes you more prepared for life. And, um, More fulfilling and happier, so yeah, Yeah. it's
2: worth it. And I think that that's been the the amazing thing is just how how sad and unhappy radical feminism has made women, Um, and that's the piece that we don't get. You know, we get a lot of of makeup and fake eyelashes and and things that make women appear to be incredibly happy, and yet when you look at the numbers of of you know the happiness metrics as I call them. Um, we've got some really unhappy women. you know we've got a lot of a lot of us are a lot more medicated. Um, and that may be p- part of what keeps up the appearance. Um, and yet there's you know suicide rates, divorce rates, um substance abuse, all of these things really point to some some very unhappy women in the in the culture.
1: yeah, absolutely. yeah, I know my family, my husband and I have just been trying to find ways to just reduce the stress level in our household. you yeah. know it's so easy to get wrapped up and the everyday aspects of life and forget to just enjoy the little things. Like, you know, the yeah. joy that our three-year-old brings us when he wants to color, you know, just trying to reformat and reframe our mindset. As yeah. go forward. And I think that that's really wise, you know, no
2: matter where you're at or what's, mm-hmm. what stage of life you're at, because it is easy to miss those things and not really be present in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of wonder where the, the, the time has gone. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that's um, just a vital... Vital thing, those kind of mental snapshots that you can just take in and, and
0: really meditate on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the joy of motherhood, is that you can have your bad moments with your children where things just seem chaotic and then you know, a few minutes later, they're the biggest joy in your life. And <laughs> you can be so proud and so happy what with what they're doing and their development. And so, you know, it can be whiplash sometimes, but like at the end of the day, I'm just so happy to be a mom and have that opportunity and and you know, not have to have to worry about all the feminist rhetoric because I'm right in the moment with my own
1: kids.
2: (laughs) Right. No, I think that's that that's well said and um, that's been one of the things that I've, I've loved about being a mom too is that no matter what the cancel culture does you know my book got uh, canceled by Facebook and Instagram marketplace earlier this year. (laughs) um, you know, no matter what these things are, my, my kids still love me. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm still their mom and you know, those things don't change.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: people aren't allowed to buy my book.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's so beautiful. And Carrie, this has been an awesome conversation. You've made us laugh and you've made us cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Which <think> doesn't. So. <laughs> I, I don't think we've cried on a whole lot of podcasts. So that's, <laughs> that's a point in your book, but, um, I will be posting a lot of your writings throughout the week for um, social media, for those who follow us on our platforms. Um, I actually have two of your books, um, two from the series of Theology of the Home, and they are beautiful inside and out. The writing is beautiful. Guys, please get these books because, I mean, you could even put them on your table for guests to read because they're that beautiful. So, um, so grab one of those on Amazon. We'll put links to her books there. Are, are they still on Amazon or did they get canceled? Yeah,
2: no, Amazon's okay. We had a, a glitch okay. there too, but it's been worked out since. So, okay. Yeah. Good. Good. No, thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks again, Carrie. Um, and if, if you are listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. If you can find us on all of the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the State House to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.